it's great to see you all. Happy New Year to, to you all. It's wonderful to start a new year of church together. And, uh, you know, in one sense, the new year is a funny thing because it's just another week, right? Another week has rolled by. It's another weekend. Uh, and yet, you know, all of us have this sense of there's something new. And each of us is, you know, a bit older, a bit wiser. Potentially some of us, less hair, not me. Uh, but, at, you know, some of you might be in the next grade at school. Uh, than you were last year. Some of you might be in the next year of your university course, you know, that step closer to uh, the qualification that you've been working hard on. Some of you are, you know, another year more experienced in your job. You might be getting a pay increase. Woohoo! Uh, you know, in, in some way, there's, there's a psychology that goes with the new year that's like, you know what, I'm a little bit better than I was last year, uh, in whatever way that is. And I wonder if you think the same way about your faith. You've had another year around the sun. You've had another year with Jesus. How is your faith going? Do you feel like you're a year wiser, a year closer to Jesus? Like this time this year, compared to this time last year, you know him better. You know a little bit clearer what he wants from you in your life. You know how to follow him and, and how to live that out. I wonder if that's the case. Or if the progression and the maturing of your faith is lagging behind the, the progression that happens in the rest of your life. Because, I mean, it's, it's certainly my prayer for us as, as a church and for all of you, anyone who, who comes here and, and uh, calls this place home, that you would grow in your faith. And that as a result of this year, uh, you would be closer to Jesus. That you would be more effective for the kingdom of God. And that you would better experience his joy and his peace and his presence in your life. So I wonder if that's the... The reality for you. If you uh, were here this time last year, we actually sort of you know, kicked off our, our evening service and we laid down a few principles that you know, dictated why we do it this way. There's lots of different ways to do church. Why do we, why do we get the Bible and, and preach through a, a book in the evening service? Um, what is this thing about? And we, we came to the understanding that uh, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed. We believe 2 Timothy 3.16 when it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, reproof, training, correcting, uh, training in righteousness, that the per man or woman of God can be you know, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so when we come and we open the Scriptures, we expect that God is going to speak to us and that we can travel our way through a book and there is going to be wisdom that God wants to give from any and every section of that word. And so that's you know, a big word for you. That's called an exegetical approach. But we also said that uh, we don't always have an exegetical result. If I can you know, put it, anyone who likes their theological words is going, oh, what's he going to say now? But wait, basically what we believe right, is that you know, God's word is his, his revelation to us once and for all, which comes through the Bible. But this word is living and active. And that at any one season in our life, God might apply the same scripture in a different way. It's always going to be consistent with how he's revealed himself, but the meaning and the significance for you might be different from time to time, from season to season. And so we expect that we're going to open the scriptures and that we're going to read through it, we're going to encounter something, and God's going to have something to say that hits the nail on the head for you, where you are in your season, in your life, and for us as a church, because quite frankly, we're doing this together, and that's the point. And the, and the point of, of our church here is always going to be first that, that people get connected with God and with each other and that we can grow in that place. As Theo said, we're not perfect, but that's also kind of the point too. Because if you are perfect, then uh, you might struggle to fit in <laughs> here. Um, 
I was having a conversation with with someone the other day who was just reflecting. No, 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 I, I shouldn't share that story. Anyway, you can ask me about that one later if you like. So we decided that when we come to, to church and when we, when we go through this uh, way, we come expectant. We don't come with expectations about, you know, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, I want God to do this. But we come expectant that, you know what, God cares about us. God cares about our faith and he cares about me, he cares about me growing. And so we were expecting him to do something to that effect. And I don't know what you're expectant for. I don't know what you're hopeful for out of church this year. Because God is, is the same God now as he was when he was opening the eyes of the blind man. He's the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the same God that did all of that stuff that appeared to Moses in, in the burning bush. He is the same God. And he can do any and all of those things in our midst, should he choose to do so. So I wonder if you're expectant for any of that to happen. I mean, we haven't had any miracles in the evening service in a little while. But I'm hopeful and prayerful that we will start to see them this year. And I wonder if you are as well. Because sometimes when God wants to do something, actually there, maybe we place a few obstacles in his way with you know, how, how we are. And, and obviously a, a big obstacle that can stop God from working in our lives is, is our sin. If we're holding on to behaviours that we know are actually not right before God, then that can be a, a limiting factor and we actually need to deal with that in order to, to move forward in our faith. That might be one reason that we're stuck. Or perhaps often uh, God is waiting for us to just let go a little bit and to, to just give away that, you know, Queensland reservedness that we have, you know, often in, in our worship. Um, we had a, a worship and tech team retreat yesterday, uh, which was awesome uh, because it was all of the, the worshippers in the room together and could just let loose. And you know what? God shows up in that environment because he responds to the faith and the responsiveness of his people. So perhaps, perhaps one of the things that might be a blockage for God doing something is, is us still kind of holding back in our worship. You know, still maybe self-conscious of what's going on around us rather than saying, you know what, God, I'm here for you. And that's it. I don't, I don't really care what anyone else ends up thinking about me. Uh, but I just want to pour out my heart before you. So perhaps that is something that we need to be thinking about this year. I wonder, what are you expectant for? What are you expecting? Because I'm hopeful and I'm expecting that pe more people are going to get baptized this year, that more people are going to make that decision, that people are going to come to know Jesus, that you are going to invite your friends to church and that they are going to have their life radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing for God to be doing in this place this year? I'm expecting that you're going to grow in your faith and that this time next year, if I was to ask you the same question, you'd say, you know what? I have. It's been hard. God's done some stuff, but you know what? I feel closer to him than I did 12 months ago. And you know what? Another thing that, that I'm expectant for is that there's lots of things happening uh, behind the scenes uh, in you know, what, our, what our church does and, and the kind of things that we do. Theo mentioned that we're writing this uh, young adults course, and it's one of the, the, the things that we do as a church is that we uh, create things that go on to be a blessing to other churches around, and lots of people come to the courses from various different places, and um, that's just what God is, is doing in this place. Uh, and one of those things is that um, we're going to be getting on with a couple of key, oh, I'm not speaking very well here, let me, let me clarify, uh, evangelism is important. This year we're going to be uh, you know, rethinking and, and redoing the way that we talk about evangelism and that we get involved in evangelism. All right? And so that's people coming to know Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you'll be excited about getting involved with that. The other thing is that we are a church plant. Four and a half years ago, approaching five this Easter, we are a church plant. 
And we are planted with that DNA that says, you know what, church planting is important. And so we're going to get onto that train and we're going to start taking some significant steps to actually looking to plant churches in the future. Because if the kingdom of God is going to grow, if more people are going to get to know him, then there have to be more healthy churches around the place. And so that's what we're going to be on. And so you know what I'm excited for? You know what I'm expecting about? You know what I've been praying for? Is that all of those steps require people to step up into leadership, into ministry, and people to say, you know what, this is a calling that is significant enough that I'm going to give my life to it, to recognize that I'm going to lay it all on the line for this purpose. And so I'm praying and I'm expecting that God's going to start raising people up like that in our midst and from uh, the people that I see before me tonight. And that's what this message is about. We are still in the book of Acts. So, I mean, we were in the book of Acts. How exciting. We don't go nearly as slowly as some churches, so <laughs> we go at the pace that is right for what God wants to do here. So if you would open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts and chapter 16. I'm currently reading from the especially loved edition. Uh, especially loved translation of the Bible, which includes these handy inserts, which come out. <laughs> Left my other Bible at home. Anyway, chapter 16. We are in the, in the world of the early church, and we've been walking through from the very beginning when you know Jesus left and, and he gave the, the Great Commission, and then uh, the, the disciples gathered, the Holy Spirit came, the church was born, the gospel message is going out. All of these incredible things were happening. Eventually, we meet a guy called Paul. And uh, the church at this stage is uh, in, it's in an adolescent phase, but we'll come back to that in a moment. I just want to explain uh, how the, the church works, if you know this is not clear to you. How does the church work? Because we are all one body, and we are all uh, you know, equal before God, and we are all a priesthood of believers. Each of us has a function to play in the church. But necessarily, the way that an organization needs to work is that there have to be some people who are set apart, who are devoted to actually making that thing happen. Right? So we have a bunch of staff here at our church, and any church is the same. You've got people who, you know, that's their job. Uh, that's their job to do it. And how does that work? Because, you know, I have conversations with people outside the church, and when I mention that, you know, I'm a pastor, or, you know, often the language that they understand the most as I say that I'm a minister, um, they sort of go, oh, oh, that's unusual. Uh, and, you know, what's going through their minds? Like, how does somebody actually get to be that? Does you sort of grow up being like, you know, I just really want to be a, a pastor one day. I just want to, there's something I love about, you know, spending hours preparing a 40-minute talk every week to people who are probably going to go away and do exactly the opposite of what I said. That's just like really thrills me with, <laughs> with confidence. You know, and they're like, oh, okay, so did you like, you grow up wanting to be that or do you have like aspirations to get to the Pope or, or something like that? I don't know. But no, it doesn't work like that. Right, what happens is that God calls people. God taps people on the shoulder. God puts a seed in their heart that says, you're set apart for this. Right, it doesn't make you any better than anyone else. It just, it's like that in the Old Testament, there was a tribe of Levi who were all set apart for the functioning of the, the sacrificial system in the temple. That was their job. That was their livelihood. And it was their function. And so it works the same way. And so tonight what I'm speaking on is that we're looking at a story of a young individual who had this call of God on their life. And I know that I've gone through that process as well. 
And so what you might find is that this story strikes a chord with you. Maybe there's a sense inside you that, you know, actually, you know, God is calling me to that. Maybe there's that seed inside of you which is leaning that way. You know that every one of us is called to minister, every single one of us, right? And, and we've reiterated this before that we get from Ephesians 4 that God says he gave the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to the church in order to equip them, equip them for ministry, right? So the job of a, of a pastor is to equip everybody in the church to minister well. So you are a minister. You are somebody whose words, actions, deeds, choices, values, everything that you do represents Jesus Christ and his gospel. And part of the purpose of being here on Sunday is to get equipped in order to do that better. And I heard it put really well uh, from a friend uh, a couple of weeks ago who uh, was in ministry and, and he was like, you know, I got in the habit of, of saying, you know, I'm your pastor, not your doer, right? And so being not, you know, one of the ones who's on the staff doesn't make you a passenger in the place, right? It makes you somebody who actually you need to figure out what uh, serving God, what loving God, and what that looks like in your own context and walking that out. But as we go through tonight, I just want you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I really want you to be listening to what he says and to be sifting in your own heart. Right? There are going to be some of you who know instantly, eh, that's not me. Like, I get it. I get it. People, somebody needs to do that, but it's not me. And that's great. That's awesome. And what I want you to do is to be praying that God would be tugging on the, the hearts of those who actually do need to obey that call and to step into uh, that place. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know that there, it's, it's often easy for lots of people to want to get into ministry because you sort of say, hey, it's this like important thing. But that's often led people into ministry who have not been called and that results in sometimes, you know, not good situation for anyone. So many people sometimes want to go, but many people who are called sometimes don't want to go either. Right? So I, I know a number of people who have a clear calling upon their life who are currently running from that calling. No one here, by the way. Um, but I want you to, to just, once again, carefully listen to the Holy Spirit as we go through this story, uh, as we look at the person, Timothy. I want you to think, does this apply to me? Is God placing this seed in me as well? And I don't want you to discount yourself because all of us have an idea of what the right person looks like. And we have lots of reasons to go, is not me. But I don't want you to discount yourself for any of these reasons. Firstly, I don't know enough. I don't know enough about, you know, the Bible or enough about God or, or I, you know, haven't done all of that study. It doesn't matter because what God calls, he will, those whom God calls, he will also equip. Don't discount yourself because you haven't been trained. Don't discount yourself because it's potentially frightening. You know, life is frightening. <laughs> Anything that you do can, can go wrong, right? There's no need to be fearful. The one thing, in fact, that you don't need to be afraid of at all is doing what God's asked you to do. And so it's easy to put a bunch of fears around what that looks like uh, as a reason not to obey. I don't want you to discount yourself because you think you're from the wrong background. You might think, you know what, I... I didn't have, you know, some amazing conversion story and so that makes me a less powerful person in, in that position. Or you might think the other way, you know, I, I, I didn't come from like a solid line of, of Christian family and, and so that doesn't make me right for that position. There's no one size fits all. There's the calling of God 
And that's it. So don't discount yourself for those reasons. Don't discount yourself because you're young. The person that we're looking at tonight, Timothy, is actually told, don't let anyone despise you because you're young. God's call is on your life. Don't let that be a hindrance. Don't let that get in the way. And the other thing that I just want to state is don't discount yourself because you're female. Right, and that's been a big issue uh, in the church for a while and, you know, there's complex uh, issues when it comes to, like, society and and the way that people view that question. And trust me, we as a staff have been wrestling with this deeply over the last little while and having, you know, hours and hours of conversation about it. And it's resulting in me being able to stand here and say, don't discount yourself because you're female. Right, and if you, if you want to know, hey, how do you believe that from the Bible, then I would love, love, seriously, to sit down with you and walk through those scriptures, and we could do that. But I think that there have been lots of uh, people who uh, have those gifts and who sense that calling, but who also deeply respect what they believe to be the teaching of the Word of God, and so have refused to go down that road uh, for that reason. So don't discount yourself. I had the, uh, the pleasure of seeing a, a man by the name of Glenn Garine. I'm not sure if anyone knows of Glenn Garine, but he, he runs a, uh, an organization called Men of Honor. And he goes around, he's, he's essentially like a motivational speaker, uh, but he's a Christian guy. And he's found his sweet spot. Right? He speaks to high school age boys uh, and he essentially encourages them to, to live a life that is bringing glory to God uh, in, in the way that a true man should. And I I heard him a couple of times, but on this one occasion, I heard him speak about something called seeds of greatness. And I never heard him speak about the same thing uh, after that, but he highlighted this this principle. That is that God places inside of you seeds of greatness. That there is a potential that God puts in there where there is, you know, some incredible thing that's, that's purposeful, that's meaningful, and that's fulfilling for you to do. And it's there, but it's only a seed to begin with. It's not fully formed when God puts it inside of you. But when you see somebody else who is in, in, it, in its mature form doing what you know that seed will grow into, there's, there's something inside that just stirs and you go, I see, I see that and I know that that's part of me as well. You know, it's like... Um, like Harry Potter's scar, when Voldemort is near, it starts like painting him in his head. You know, that's probably a bad example. But there's, there's something inside you that just goes, yes, I know. I know that God has asked me to do the same thing. And, you know, as this guy was speaking, and, and he is the, was the mo- one of the most incredible speakers that I've seen. I mean, it's not easy to hold, to captivate the attention of, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-old boys in an environment, and they were just on the edge of their seat all of the time. And I remember just listening to him, and he was talking about this, and I knew I I was weeping myself because I knew, you know what, God's called me to teach, God's called me to preach, God's called me to speak, and I know that there's a seed in there that he wants to call out. And you know that it's possible to to listen to, you know, somebody who's preaching and they're preaching well and to appreciate and and to receive, uh, you know, ministry from the Spirit there, but it's something different to go, I know, I know that I can do that too. God's put that there inside of you. Listen to it. It might just be a seed now, but he can grow it. 
You need to commit to that path to allow that to grow into maturity. We'd better get into the Bible. Verse 1, chapter 16. So the, the context here, we've gone through the beginning of the church. Uh, we've, we've gone through the, the preaching of uh, Paul, and he's gone on a missionary journey, and then he's come back to Jerusalem Council, and then we have this momentous occasion in Acts chapter 15 where the church decides that you don't have to be circumcised. Who's happy about that? Amen. Now, that is such a huge deal that they then send Paul and, and Barnabas out to tell all of the churches that, by the way, put the knives down. You don't need to do that anymore. And so they, they send them out and then we've got this moment where Paul and Barnabas have this argument and they separate. And I had a friend uh, who used to call it the Barney. They had a big Barney and they, they split. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really cringe joke, but I kind of love it. And so they, they split, and, and uh, Liam gave us a message on that uh, last year. And I just maybe want to point out that despite the fact that they had a disagreement and they separated, that God's still using that, and that instead of having two incredibly powerful people going on one mission to spread this news, now there are two incredibly powerful people going on two separate missions to two separate areas to spread it, and they're inviting other people along. So God is absolutely all over that, using it for his glory. So Paul is on what's called his second missionary journey. So he's already been around, planted all of these churches, and this is about five years later. He's going to go and he's visit those same churches, and he's going to go, it's so great to see you. How are you going? Do you still understand the gospel? Put the knives away. And he's going to encourage them in their faith. And so we get to chapter 16, verse 1. Let's read it together. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. So entering onto the stage in the narrative of the book of Acts is this disciple called Timothy. And we know that Timothy ends up being quite a frequent name in the New Testament. He actually ends up doing quite incredible things for God. He's actually listed as the co-author along with Paul of about five of his New Testament letters. Not only that, you've got uh, the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, which are not written by Timothy, they're written to Timothy. Right? It's call, called a pastoral epistle. Okay, the Greek word epistle just means letter. Right? So it's, it's a letter, a pastoral letter from Paul to Timothy. So not only is a co-author of five of these books, but two of the letters that were addressed specifically to him make it into the Bible. So we actually have quite a unique window into this individual and to his life uh, in ministry. And so what we're going to do as we go through this is to explore some of the qualities which have lended themselves and made Timothy suitable for what we call a vocational ministry. And you may have heard that term before. It's a bit of an old term, uh, but it just means like somebody whose work it is to, you know, be doing things for the church or for, you know, other church uh, parachurch organizations. It's like your, your life is set apart entirely about that business, right? For, for a lot of Christians and for a lot of us here, you know, at the fulfillment of our mission, of our personal calling of God is to be in our workplace, to be in our family and to love God and to love people there. And vocational ministry is that other side of it, like the, the Levitical priesthood where you go, this person is, is set apart because God's given them the right set of skills or whatever it is to help keep the church functioning. So what qualities make Timothy suitable for that? And then the first thing to look there, and it's just to remind us of that word disciple. 
So that a follower of Jesus is not simply somebody who believes a set of things, but they're somebody who has committed to a life of following Jesus, that that is a part of who they are in every respect. And it's not possible for you to lead a life into ministry unless you are a deep and committed disciple of Jesus. We're told that he's from a Jewish background, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. And what that is meaning is that, yes, she was Jewish, that was her background, but as a believer, it means that she's a Christian, she's believed the gospel. So probably what's happened, um, I'm just trying to remember her name. Um, it's, a, it's a Greek name. Liam, you can help me out here. Is Eunice, I think, is her grandma. Um, his grandma. <laughs> Liam's shaking his head back there. He's like, you're on your own, buddy. Burn, burn up there. Um, so his, his mother is Jewish, but she's a believer, which means that probably when Paul came and preached the gospel in Lystra, she uh, decided to become a Christian then which probably also means that Timothy himself, as a young man, accepted the gospel and has been a Christian uh, for probably at least five years. In Jewish faith, it's what's called uh, matrilineal, right? Mater is the Latin for mother. And so your status as a Jew came from your mum. So if your mother was Jewish, then you could be considered Jewish as well. But it, it specifies that his father was a Greek, right? And we find out in a moment's time that although he was Jewish, uh, he wasn't circumcised. And probably we can guess that's because his father maybe didn't want him to, but we don't really hear much about his father, and so anything beyond that is kind of uh, speculation. But what we have here in this person of Timothy is that he's a young guy. We expect that he's probably, at this point, when Paul is meeting him again, between the ages of 19 and 23. And he is what we might call a, a clean skin. He's come from a generations of people who know God. He's, he hasn't, you know, committed any terrible, you know, things or, or crimes in his life. And he's loved God from a young age. We're told from other scriptures uh, in the books of Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 3.15, that he's described as having a sincere faith and that he has a, a great knowledge of the scriptures. So from a young age, he's been learning uh, the scriptures. Then we get to verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And this is about his reputation. Timothy is somebody that has a stellar reputation with the people around him. That as potentially a 19-year-old, people are speaking about this guy. So you know what? This, this young guy, he's got some stuff. He's going to be useful to you, Paul, if, if you're looking and the thing about a good reputation is that it doesn't come by accident. And it also doesn't come in the moment. A good reputation is built over time. And it's built in truth. Has anyone played the card game Cheat? A couple of people. It's a great game where there's a, there's a bunch of rules and the, the point of the rules is to break them in order to win. And so it's, it's cheating. But you can call somebody else out. If you think that they're cheating, then you say, oh, I think you're cheating. And if you're right, then they get punished. Uh, but if you're wrong and they're not cheating, then you get punished. So it's a, it's a bit of a risk. Uh, you know what? I'm very good at the game cheat, and I'm happy to say that because I figured out the best strategy, and that is not to cheat. It's to play by the rules and to look and, and to make everyone think that you're cheating by your, your facial expression or whatever it is. 
Because the thing is, you can't get caught cheating if you're not cheating. And a reputation is the same. The only way to have a good reputation is to do it properly. To actually live a life that lends itself to the recommendation of others. And so Timothy was probably a guy who had built and sustained evidence over time of good interactions with others. Of somebody who was kind, somebody who wasn't arrogant uh, about Uh, any of his own life, somebody who had integrity in what he did, somebody whose uh, behavior is beyond question. His reputation had been built for a long time. And I wonder, do you have a reputation like that? When people talk about you, do they think, you know, such and such is such a wonderful person. And I've known them for a while and they're just such an an upstanding person. Not a bad thing to say about them. Because, you know, there are two ways that you can go about getting a good reputation. One of them is the proper way, and then the other one is to fake it and to actually, you know, try and convince people that you're something that you're not. And that can work for a while, but it will always catch you out. So if you're someone who, who thinks, you know, you want, you want to go in, into ministry, how's your reputation? Can people slander the church of God because of you? Or are you somebody who lives a life full of integrity? Verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And is anyone else just pausing for a moment here and going, "Hang hang on a second, hang on a second, Paul. Aren't you going around to the churches telling them they don't need to circumcise anyone anymore? And then now the first thing that you do when you meet this young guy that you want to bring along is, is circumcise him. Is, is there a little bit of hypocrisy there? Is, is, is something going on? But if we look at the, the reason that the Scriptures give for Paul actually doing this, then it actually shows us some of the traits that lend Timothy even more to this service. So Timothy, Paul's obviously come across Timothy and he's seen, yeah, this is a boy of, of good reputation. Sorry, I don't mean to use boy in diminutive. If you're 19, I don't mean to call you that. This is a young man of, uh, of good reputation and he's seen evidence of gifts in this guy that would lend himself to that purpose. And so we have in 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul is uh, talking to Timothy and he says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Right? So so Paul had recognized gifts in this young man that he wanted to affirm and to call out. And in 1 Timothy 4, from verse 13, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And exhortation uh, is is kind of just encouragement, right? And, And that could be encouragement as in like, they're there. But it could also be encouragement as in like, you can do it. I believe in you. Or encouragement as in like, you know, gathering everyone together and going, you know, we should really be about this. This is important. Let's gather each other together. So that's what exhortation means. Um, You'll probably never, ever use that word in conversation, only when you're reading scripture. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And so it's clear that Timothy had gifts in these three things, scripture, exhortation, and teaching. Right, Reading scripture, explaining it, teaching it, 
and gathering people, encouraging them and helping them to live out what the Bible says. And Paul is encouraging him, he's like, don't neglect those gifts. They are there for a reason. They are not there to be hidden and to be, to be kept at home in private. They are there to bless the church of God. Once again, we can go back to Ephesians 4 where it says, God has given the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church. They are the gifts that God has given them. God gives his church gifts. It just so happens that they are in the hands of certain people, right, who, who then are meant to use those to bless and to build up what's going on. And so if you've got those gifts, they're not for you. They're not for you to hide away. And there is something so freeing in, in finding the context to actually use those gifts and understand, you know what? Like this is God working and God's blessing people and I'm part of that. And that's incredible. Incredible for God to do it. It's a very freeing place to find yourself. And so the other thing is there, uh, we, we're told about this moment when there was a prophecy made about Timothy and about his gifts and about the calling that God had on his life. And so don't neglect that. Don't neglect that when somebody might be praying for you and they're listening to the Spirit of God and they say, you know what, I think that God might have uh, that calling on your life. Don't neglect that either. God is absolutely in the business of, of doing that with people. It doesn't happen to everyone. It doesn't have to happen to everyone, but it certainly can. Our gifts are not for our benefit. We also see in 2 Timothy 3, verse 13 to 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So Timothy is described as knowing his scriptures from a very young age. He was just that kind of guy who was like, you know what, I, I love reading these, I love learning about God. And so by the time Paul meets him, he's already got a solid knowledge of Scripture and he's able to see how it clearly points to Jesus Christ. You know what? Timothy didn't wait for a job to come up in church before he got into the Bible. He didn't wait for an opportunity to present itself before he committed himself to the Word of God. Right? He didn't wait until he was asked to lead worship before he, he developed the, the, the habit of worshipping in private. He didn't wait until there was a pastoral job or opportunity before he felt the burden of other people to pray for them, that God would work in their lives. You see, it came out of who he was because God had made him that. And so if you're wanting to commit yourself to a path of ministry, don't neglect the early days. Don't think, I'll get on the train when the, the station master calls his whistle or whatever. No, that's what I'm doing now. Because if I need to be prepared, then I'm going to get onto that. You see, despite Timothy's background and all of this understanding of Scripture, his mother being Jewish, his grandmother being Jewish, uh, he wasn't circumcised, which was a problem theologically not for him, but for the Jews, specifically for the Jews that he was going to go and to take this message to. And so the reason that we are given for Paul actually taking him and circumcising is because he knew that those Jews were not going to listen to him. It was like, 
Firstly, that teaches us that Paul was expecting Timothy to actually be doing the explaining, right? He was expecting him to, to be in front of these crowds of learned Jews and to explain to them from the Bible how Jesus is the Messiah and how they shouldn't have to circumcise people, right? And so he was trying to remove the obstacle of those people going, like, oh, that's great for you to come and preach to us about not wanting to be circumcised. It's just because you don't want to do it. You're not you know, a full participant in this community, uh, and so Paul was essentially saying, we need to just deal with that. We need to get that off the table. And the fact that Timothy went along with this shows actually the character that he has. Because in order to get to be in ministry, to, to be called to ministry, to serve the church of God, it means laying down your life. Laying down what you hope to achieve, what you hope to be, and saying, you know what, God, your purposes and your purposes only. And that's what I want for my life. And so he didn't need to get circumcised in order to be right with God. He didn't, it didn't add to his you know, qualification as, as somebody who was saved, but it certainly did show that he's got the stuff to lay down his life and to serve the people that he was going to. You know, this in our culture probably doesn't look like circumcision, to be honest. It's not a stumbling block for many people now. But what, what could that be? Right? If you're somebody who feels like this is maybe where God is calling you, what, what are the things in your life that you might need to lay down? Things that don't actually make you a better Christian, things that don't make you any more favoured by God, but things that go, you know what, this person is willing to do what I've called them to do. It could be things like, I don't know, getting a tattoo. The Bible doesn't prohibit getting tattoos, there's that one verse which people can misunderstand. But if you are going to a place where potentially having a tattoo or a particular type of tattoo on your body is going to remove your credibility with that audience, then will you best not to get it? In the same way that if you were to go to a community where actually, you know, having a full sleeve is, is going to really impact the effectiveness of your ability to relate to those people, then, well, maybe that's what you should be doing. Another easy one is, is the consumption of alcohol, which once again, the Bible doesn't forbid in any way, but it's been a long tradition of people in ministry to say, well, no, I'm not going to touch it because it gives that, uh, that rapport. It doesn't want either cause a brother to stumble or you know, relate to, to people who have made that similar decision. Would you be willing to go through that kind of stuff if it meant giving up a freedom like that, a legitimate freedom? It could be the accumulation of life experience. And, you know, this is part of what my story of uh, getting into ministry was like because I went to theological college. I, I felt a burden of being called into ministry when I was in grade 12. And uh, my life didn't look like it back then, uh, but I knew that that's what God was calling me to. And so I decided to go to theological college first thing out of school. I was going, let's get this thing done. I'm going to get this qualification and then God's going to release you know, me into, into the world and, and it's going to be awesome. And got into doing that qualification and all the way along the way, there were just warnings all the time from people who were in, in ministry saying, the last thing you want to do is be in ministry if that's not where God wants you. The last thing you want to do is to start and not finish. And so it was impressed upon me very significantly and it was confirmed by God through a number of things that in part of your process is going to be getting some life experience is going to be waiting on God for the right time and for the right moment. And so I said, okay, 
as much as I would have loved to, you know, get that qualification and then go straight into, you know, working in church or, or doing whatever, I said, no, I'll follow God, the plan that you have for me. And then it was another uh, 10 years after that of uh, living life and following God uh, until he actually eventually called me into that space. So I wonder, if you know that that's what God is going to ask of you, might not be, would you commit to that? Would you commit to 10 years, 15 years, or like Moses, 40 years of character development until you were ready to go into that position? Would you be willing to do it? Maybe the other thing is a theological qualification. You know what? I have a theological qualification, so I can give you a reflection on the usefulness of that when it comes to actually ministering to, to people. But what if the people that you're ministering to demand that that be part of your uh, set, you know, your qualification? Would you be willing to do it, despite the fact that you know, studying might be hard? Would you be willing to do it? These are the markers of somebody who is willing to lay down their life for the service of God's people. Because there are going to be people who want to try and get into ministry, not actually to serve the people, but in order to serve themselves. Some perceived level of you know, spiritual authority or, or grandeur or, or whatever it might be. And those kind of people are always trying to make their way into uh, the flock of God. And the fruit always shows so we get to verse 4, verse 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So they went about on this mission, telling them the message of no more circumcision. The Gentiles are welcome into this community by faith and by the grace of God. And if we remember the words of Peter to the council, he said, you know what, our hope for you Jews is that you can be saved in the same way as them, that you can actually be freed from your tie to the law and live a life that is under grace, just like the Gentiles. Gentile conversion becomes the standard of what it means to know Jesus. And so they deliver this and it bears fruit, right? The, the churches are strengthened and they grow and they increase in numbers daily. You know what, the other piece of evidence in the life of somebody who's called to, to minister is that the fruit can't be faked. It's like uh, Bowen mangoes. If you know the delicious sweetness of a Kensington Pride mango and somebody serves you an R2E2, you know this is a different fruit. It's not the same. And God's anointing on the ministry of somebody cannot be faked. And see, the thing is, you might think, you know what, I, I don't have the gifts, I'm, I'm not very well spoken, I'm not that great with people, and that you, you might find that through a totally bumbling conversation with somebody that you lead them to Christ. Because God's fruit is there and God's spirit is upon you. And you know what, what you have might be a seed, but with diligence and with giving it to God and with pursuing it, God's actually going to grow that into something that's mature. And that was certainly um, my experience uh, early on, the, the first person that I ever led to Christ was after I shared my testimony at a SMAD camp. And I was young. Uh, I don't think I spoke particularly well. I don't think I did a good job at all. Um, but this young girl 
came up to me afterwards and she said, I want what you've got. And I had the privilege of, of leading her to Christ. And that was the fruit of God upon that ministry. And so you might feel like you've got none of the gifts. And yet God is blessing what you're doing. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore God working powerfully through you. Because some people can look like they've got everything, can look like they've got the whole package, can claim like they've got the whole package, and yet the fruit isn't there. And that's its own issue. So let's get some guidance from the life of Timothy. These are some of the things which lend himself to a life that is called to be set apart for ministry. The first one is that he has a demonstrable commitment to his faith over time, a visible commitment. He was a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't a Sunday Christian, right? He had learned the scriptures from a young age, not because there was an opportunity that he knew one day he was going to, you know, get to be the prime minister of the church. I'm making up titles here, right? He was deeply committed to that because it was who he was, because he loved God. The second thing is that uh, there are visible gifts. It's, it's on the next slide and the, what I've got in my notes is different. Visible gifts or seeds of gifts. Okay, the, the Holy Spirit has got himself upon you in a way that is visible and it might be only very small. It might be only the seed of a gift, but it is there. God is doing it. The third thing is a commitment to character. You know, we see in First Timothy chapter 6, Paul encourages him. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you make the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Because calling might get you into that space, but character is what is going to sustain you in that space for a long time. And there are many people who have gotten into the space of being called and their character has been found lacking. And what they've discovered is that character is actually the, the, the foundation of, of that calling. And so if the character is weak and crumbly, then everything falls through. But the one who is, is called by God knows that, you know what, in all things, as for me, I will walk in my integrity. doesn't matter what other people are doing. My commitment is to God and to be uh, his representative. And the other thing, the last thing is a commitment to exercise gifts for the good of God's people. Commitment to exercise gifts for the common good. This is a person who knows, you know what, I've got the ability to teach. I know that, you know, when I sit down and when I open the Bible with people or with, or with someone, they just come away so blessed and so refreshed. And so they don't wait to get tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, can you come and teach this Bible study? They don't wait for you know, a paid opportunity to do that to come along. They just say, you know what? I'm just going to teach the Bible to some people because I know God's given me that gift and that they're blessed by it. And it's often that commitment in, in, a, in a totally unstructured way that's actually the, the qualification for doing it in a, a vocational capacity later. These people understand that my gift is not for me. It's for the church and they give it freely without any uh, pretense. So just as uh, I invite the band up, I want us to, to think about this. I want us to pray deeply over this. I want you to, to be sifting in your heart what is 
God saying to you? Is that seed inside of you? Is it going, you know what, God, I know that you've called me to that. Listen to the Holy Spirit. You know, if you're someone who can, who you, you know automatically, you know straight away that, you know, this isn't for me, then what, can, what I, can I ask you, please, to pray for God to be speaking to the ones who do need to hear it. Because all of us benefit from when people step up and obey the call of God and use their gifts in the right context to serve the church. We need that. We need that as, as a people, as a group. So would you pray for that? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your wisdom in all that you do. I thank you for the example of the life of Timothy, of a young person who had already committed himself to you. We heard about the story of David this morning, who as a humble shepherd boy had committed himself, had, had, had developed a heart that was so for you he was faithful in the little things. He was there to protect his little sheep from the lion and from the bear. And he knew that you were his protector. And that's what qualified him for the struggle against Goliath and the struggle against Saul and the struggle of being the king of Israel. And God, I pray that if there are young people here tonight who know that that's the path that you've got for them, that they would be listening to your spirit right now whatever it is that you are saying to them. And God, maybe there are some people who are a bit further through life here tonight who know that they've actually been running from that calling, that they've been pursuing success in a, in a career, but they know deep down that actually God has had a tug the other way. Then I pray that you would help them to come to the point where they say, you know what, I've lived life enough for that. I've lived life enough for my own path. And I want to submit to you, God, and to follow what you have. God, I pray that as you raise up people in this place, that you would bless your church, that you would give gifts, gifts to teach, gifts to encourage, gifts to serve, gifts to lead, and that all of us would be blessed, that we would be grown as a people more and more, into the fullness of the stature of our head who is Christ, that you might present the church to yourself blameless and mature in faith. You know, perhaps you, you want some prayer over this issue. Maybe you are feeling that God is speaking to you. Then why don't you come over to the side? I'll, I'll be over there and Liam will be over there with me as well and any of the prayer team can join us. Uh, over that side and if you know that that you want some some wisdom from God or some clarity from God or if you just want to say yes then would you come over and would you see us there and we'll pray with you otherwise then let's all stand let's worship God together